0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to our class today for MISC Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. Welcome back, Uh, my name is Umm Abdullah and I'm very happy to welcome you to our fourth class in this ongoing series, Women on the Straight Path. And inshallah, today we will be looking at the life, the very glorious and beautiful life story of Sayyidah Maryam bint Imran, Umm Isa so a Sayyida Maryam who was the daughter of the prophet Imran and she herself was the mother of a prophet Sayyidina Isa or Sayyidina Jesus as he's known in the Christian tradition. We'll begin with our intentions inshallah of Imam al-Haddad and these are our intentions for learning and teaching and then i'll just explain why i've put that particular photo here So we'll begin with Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nuwaitu ta'ala ma wa ta'alim wa al wa al wa nafa wa al-intifa' wa al-ifada wa al-istifada wa al-hatha ala tamasuki bi kitab wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa al ilal-huda wa al-dalalata ala al-khayr ibtighaa wa jahillahi wa mardatihi wa kurbihi wa sawaabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the name of Allah, Most Gracious, Most Merciful, I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of his Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to call to guidance and direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance, pleasure, proximity and reward of Allah, the absolutely transcendent and most exalted. Amin. Now I've put this particular photograph there which some people may be familiar with and others not and this is the picture of the resting place, the maqam of uh, Sayyidina the great Imam Ahmed bin Isa who was the founder uh, of the community there in Hadramaut in the south of Yemen where this photograph is uh, taken from and he was the founder of the whole Ba'alawi tradition and why I've put him here in this, uh, in this uh, section on intention is because he originally came from Baghdad in the uh, sort of third or fourth century uh, after the Hijra. Uh, he was from the prophetic household and he's, he began to migrate south, seeking another place to settle because he was not comfortable with the state of affairs in Baghdad, with the way in which the world... Uh, was becoming only about money and materialism and he wanted to preserve Islam and protect it uh, from being overly affected and destroyed by too much materialism and too much of the dunya so he set off with a party of about 70 people from his own family and those of the Al-Ahdal family who ended up settling on the other coast of Yemen around uh, or just a, a bit north of there uh, and oh, Zabir I think the area is called and he came with that intention to preserve and protect Islam and to produce offspring and those who would serve it and fulfill their, uh, their purpose of creation which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the reason why I've put him here is because on one of the occasions when Alhamdulillah I was very blessed to go and visit this place and I thought about his intention And then I thought about, well, what was the intention of the mother of Maryam, salam? And we know that she had made intentions, which we will see when we go through the verses from the Quran. But if you think about how important the intention is, so she intended for that child that was in her womb to be a worshipper and in service to their religion and in service to the temple. And then because the purity of her uh intention and the nobility of her intention was accepted then that became a part of changing the entire world and just as the great imam ahmed bin isa he also came with an intention that was extremely noble and lofty and pure and it was accepted and it changed the whole world as well. So I'm not trying to equate the two intentions but each of them is its own beautiful example of how profound it is that when we connect our intention and what we truly truly desire and seek to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the most Um, pure and sincere way that when it is accepted it is extremely powerful and significant so that's the the point that I wanted to bring out here inshallah and I just want to go back now as we begin our class and looking at our content here uh, back to this hadith which we looked at in our second session which is where The Prophet drew four lines on the ground and he asked his companions, Do you know what this is? Like this particular diagram or uh, pictorial representation. And they said, Allah and His Messenger know best. And he said that um, this is the the best women in paradise Uh, Khadija bint Khuwaylid, Fatima bint Muhammad. Maryam bint Imran and Asiya bint Muzahim the wife of Fir'aun. So our study of uh, Sayyidah Maryam and next week inshallah of uh, Sayyidah Asiya are connected to this hadith so I just wanted to remind you that this is why we're progressing in the way that we are because we are working from this hadith that we introduced a couple of weeks ago. So our topics for today's class inshallah we're just going to mention briefly about the uh, methodology and the pedagogy in the Quran of storytelling and what it is and why it is important because what we are doing is telling stories here and we need to understand and have a good framework in our mind about how do we approach those stories so how do we approach our understanding of those stories and what is it that we're meant to get from these stories and Then we will look at the issue of whether Sayyidina Maryam salam, was a prophet or not, and there is some scholarly uh, differences of opinion there. And then, inshallah, we'll go into the ayat, the verses in the Quran uh, about Sayyidina Maryam salam, and with regards to her childhood, and then when she became pregnant and after the birth of Nabi Isa, her son Jesus, and finally. Uh, What should we look for in the story of Sayyidina Maryam that will help us in our own striving to be women on the straight path? Now, I just want to explain this rather big, close up, focus view of these dates here. Now, some people, if you have not been in the Gulf region or if you haven't been, in the lands where there is an abundance of date palm trees you may not know that these are actually fresh dates and they're quite different to dried dates as you would have known and the reason why they're significant to our story is because these dates only come in a very very short time of the year and they are a summer fruit okay. So when the date palms are bearing fruit they need extreme heat in order for this fruit to ripen which is why dates only grow in hot climates such as here in the Gulf in the Middle East, North Africa Namibia, um, I'm not quite sure where else but they're particularly known to be in the Arab lands and particularly in the Gulf and they require this heat in order to ripen and so the ones that look a little bit uh, more brown in color that's the ripened parts of those fruits and the, the yellow part is still hard And if you bite into that, it kind of makes your teeth feel a bit funny. And some people either like that or they don't. Uh, But the the soft, moist part, uh, when you bite into that, um, that is extremely delicious. And it's very soft and very sweet. And it's like the absolute perfect fruit and the perfect food. And the nutritional value and everything is very high, as many people would know. Of course, we break our fast in Ramadan with dates. And during Ramadan in the summer months here, alhamdulillah, we were able to do so with fresh dates, which was a real blessing, alhamdulillah. So why is this important? Because when we look at the story of Sayyidah Maryam and when she shook the tree and the dates fell, what fell upon her was this, the rutabun janiyah, Okay, this is the fresh dates, the rutab. And as I said these fresh dates only come in the summer and they really only come in about two months so sort of around um, June uh, sort of July and August really is when they are at their peak so they're fully ripened they're harvested and they're sold in the shops so they are a summer fruit and if we look at stories about the birth of Jesus we find that he's born in the winter and the 25th of december which of course in this part of the world in the middle east and in palestine where he was born in bethlehem or bethlehem then uh, it would have been winter and so these fruits would not have been available And Sheikh Ahmed Didat, who was a South African scholar, who was extremely well versed in the Bible, and he used to have debates with Christians, this is one of his main points about the fact that Nabi Isa could not have been born on the 25th of December, as is uh, widely claimed, because his mother was given fresh dates to eat. So if you have never seen what those fresh dates look like, then this is it. Okay, so the other thing that we want to look at here as well is that how do we approach this story of Seyeda Maryam, Inshallah, and uh, how do we uh, look at her now and going back in history? So how do we understand her story and how do we understand and develop for ourselves a good framework, a good intellectual framework for engaging with what is presented to us? So before we do that, we have to also look at the storytelling in the Quran and why storytelling is a really important methodology for conveying guidance, because that's really what it's there to do. And here we have a definition of the word al-qasas, which is the name for story which is in the Quran, qasas or qisas. There's two ways of pronouncing it, and it actually has two meanings. So we're looking at a definition here. What is the definition of a story? Okay, and in its lexical term, it means to follow the tracks or the effects of something. So it means to follow up on something that has happened. So what's coming next? So we look at what has happened. Now what's what's the follow-up on that? And so we have in the story of Sayyidina Musa, alayhi salam, Moses, <coughs> Uh, when she put him in the box on the Nile and it got sent down the river and she said to his sister li and she said to his sister كُسِهِ which means follow him so follow him and follow up to find what has happened so that's one way in which this word story or and its lexical definition is used in the Quran and then we have a more technical definition the istilahi uh, terminology there and what it means in um, in the sense of storytelling and literature which is that it is the rendition of a tale and the informing of its events so that's where the uh, the literary definition of story comes in. So what is the point of the rendition of stories in the Quran so we know that there are many many stories in it we know that those stories are meant to have a benefit for us but what is that benefit that we're meant to get from those stories and it's not just to announce that certain events have taken place because that that wouldn't give us enough of a connection to the Quran and it wouldn't give us enough of an understanding of why those stories have been put there universally and why they're applicable to all people in all times and all places. So when we look at them we we see that it's not just to talk and recount certain events about previous nations and previous people um, even if we are seeking truthfully to know what those events were but that the story in and of itself is a guidance for the believers in order to follow uh, the correct path and to follow that correct path which is embedded in the wisdom in those stories on the basis of knowledge okay and the knowledge that those stories contain so we seek to uh, follow them for what they contain of guidance and we do so Uh, seeking to find that universal truth in them but at the same time rejecting misguidance and rejecting secularism and atheism which in our time because we need to contextualize all of this in our time and So these are the words which are really the buzzwords of our intellectual climate that we're in, which we've spoken about before, misguidance and atheism. So when we go and try and engage with these stories, what we need to find in them is the guidance that they contain in and of themselves, which is deeper than just looking at events and how they unfolded. Uh, The Quranic stories are also important because they are one of the very foundational methods of Quranic teaching and pedagogy and they first and foremost strengthened the Prophet Muhammad in his certainty and in his delivery and conveyance of the divine message because there were many things in the stories of the prophets who had come before him that he was able to relate to and that he could see manifested in them the truth of this message the truth of revelation and the truth of ta'wheed, and everything that had been invested in him in order to convey to his community and thereafter so they enabled him to have a very real and deep manifestation and connection to what it is that he was doing and why and to whom the Quran was calling and the Quran of course is there to call people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so all of these stories are woven into the the text of the Quran in order to put us on the correct path to guide us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only that but the stories also strengthen the believers who came after him such as ourselves because they are the source of thought, reflection and contemplation and this is the perspective that we're required to adopt uh, in order to understand these stories. So if we're to really grasp the guidance that they contain then we need to have a mindset which is open to being uh, changed, by something much bigger and greater than ourselves which is the guidance contained in them and we need to have a mindset that is willing to reflect and contemplate what has been said and in order to do that then we have to leave off an attitude and a mindset of critique, arrogance, mockery and rejection because these are not the qualities of a believing heart and these are not the qualities of a heart or a mind that is seeking guidance and seeking to know its creator. So inshallah uh, that will help put us in the right framework for approaching the story of Surat Maryam because it's full of miracles, um, it's full of amazing things that had happened and of course it's Uh, after events, after the birth of Nabi Isa and when he came into his role his manifested role in the community as a prophet of course things changed and there we have the the splitting of the message of Tawhid into a message of the Trinity which came a couple of hundred years later Uh, but also prior to that we had the rejection of him by his own community and so we see a lot of issues and conflicts that arise so in order for us to understand purely who Nabi Isa was and his role and his mother's role then we need to approach this, these stories in the Quran from a, pers- from a perspective that enables us to really think, reflect and to adapt ourselves properly in the way that is suitable for a believer when they take these stories and believe in them as being the truth. And also this introduces us now to our stories of women in the Quran and uh, we will begin on that path now and starting with Surat Maryam and then we say to uh Inshallah and after that we'll go into the different uh, stories of the women who are featured in the Quran and there are about 24 uh, women or women's stories specifically in the Quran so we'll see how we go with those and this is Surah Al-Tahrim which um, mentions four women it mentions two women who are an example of what not to be and two women who are an example of what to be and who to follow so at the end of it it says that um, Allah illustrates an example of those who disbelieve the wife of Nuh um, Noah and the wife of Lut uh, who is Lot so they were under two of our righteous servants because they were both prophets, but they betrayed them. They that availed them, oh, they availed them nothing against Allah. And it was said, "Enter the fire with those who are entering." So there's a whole backstory, of course, about those two women and their communities and their husbands. And then Allah illustrates an example of those who believe: the wife of Pharaoh, Ramses II, when she said my lord build for me with you a house in paradise and save me from Fir'aun from the pharaoh and his deeds and save me from the transgressing people so here we have a positive example of uh, womanhood in the Quran and then finally and Maryam the daughter of Imran who guarded her womb and so we breathed into her of our spirit and she believed in the truth of her lord's words and his books and was one of the devout so she is our role model of uh, devotion and piety and belief and worship so she has this very high rank but was she actually a prophet and there is some dispute about that and one of the reasons again why we want to ask this question before we go into her story is so that we're able to approach her story again with the right mindset now there are a few misguided and deviant readings about her um, which are coming up in modern times due to people's mindset not being correct and straight and trying to find something and read things into her story which are more a reflection of the type of moral and intellectual corruption that we are drowning in at the moment rather than being a reflection of anything that she was truly about so we don't want to spoil our discussion of her with that but again to contextualize that's if we go into academic work now on the prophets and on Seda Maryam and particularly on feminist works and that's what we're going to find um really distaste, distasteful things i have to say i saw a couple of things this week that i found um, really quite shocking and this has to be stopped and the only way that this type of really abhorrent and, um, and degenerate type of discourse about these most noble people is going to stop is if we stop consuming it and the only way that we're going to stop consuming it or stop uh, knowing about it and enabling its spread is if we know what it is we're able to identify those types of discourses and have the proper discourse as a refutation and a rebuttal of that in terms of the public sphere But not only that, that our hearts know and connect and know the truth and that our faith and our certainty, our yaqeen, is solid and true and real. So these are some of the challenges of our time. But when it comes to the scholars before us in uh, much earlier centuries, their issue was about Seda Maryam, was she a prophet or not? and this is addressed in several different places and over several different times and it's something that still comes up and some of them said yes and some of them said no and they all have their views and they're all correct and that was uh, how the scholars have extrapolated and ascertained their scholarly grounded perspectives based on the tradition, based on traditional sources and based on the uh, methodologies, the intellectual methodologies that are in our tradition and that make up our tradition. They have not sought these opinions from outside, from ideologies outside, from schools of thought outside. These are very much um, perspectives that obviously come from within the tradition itself. And whether she was or was not a prophet is really not a major issue, but it is something that is discussed about her. So that's why we're just going to refer to it briefly. And the question about whether or not she was a prophet really comes down to the definition of a nabi. So a nabi is a prophet and a rasul is a messenger. And a nabi is a person who receives revelation or revelatory knowledge, which includes divine law and rulings and a rasul who is a messenger is a person who receives that so every rasul is a nabi okay because they've all received every rasul every messenger has received revelation um so every rasul is a nabi and what makes them a rasul is that they are then ordered to convey that revelation to their people so seyed Maryam was not clearly either of those and there is no explicit Quranic text which says otherwise so we see here that uh, this is in Surah Maryam وَذْكُرْ فِي Kitabi idris. so mentioned in in the scripture in the book Idris who's known as Enoch in English Innahu kana he was a man of truth a prophet so he was actually named explicitly as a prophet and in the next verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah it says مَالْمَسِيحُ Maryam illa Rasulun." So the, mess- the Messiah, so Jesus, the son of Mary, was only a messenger before whom other messages had passed away. ummuhu Siddiqah, And his mother was a woman of truth. So she was from the Siddiqin, And there's no explicit Quranic text which says that she was actually a Nabi. So she's definitely not a Rasul because she hadn't been given that revelatory knowledge and of course she wasn't charged or manifested uh, in her any type of political role in which she would be in the community and conveying that knowledge. That's the, the view that they go on to say that no, she was not a prophet. However, there's this particular verse and al um who's one of the great classical scholars, argues that it's from this that she was a prophet in terms of her rank and her station. So even though she wasn't given revelatory knowledge in the sense that it came down in a particular system of divine law or particular rulings, ahkam, what she was given was the highest of ranks. And this verse in Surah Al Imran uh, shows that, and it says, "Wa idqala Til malaa ikatuiya Maryamu." So when the angel said, Ya yeah, Maryam, Inna Allah astafaki wa taharki wa astafaki 'ala nisa ila when the angel said, "Oh Mary, O oh Maryam, Allah has chosen you," and and this is said twice, "Inna Allah astafaki has chosen you and purified you." wastafaki and chosen you uh, over all the women of the world. So al Qurtubi says that that's a rank of a prophet to be so distinguished and chosen and singled out like that. So his argument is that yes she was in rank but that that wasn't manifested in any type of material or a political sense um, whilst she was here in the dunya. One of the other proofs um that is used to show that she was on the rank of a prophet is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses her by her name so she's directly spoken to yeah maryam okay so the angels said to her yeah maryam and so that's how the prophets are addressed as well by their name and she was visited to and spoken to directly by the angel jibril and she was subjected to or the bearer of various miracles so these are things that the majority of those who say that she did have that rank of prophethood um, these are the arguments that they use so you can see how this is all very very clearly coming from our traditional understanding and when I say traditional I mean within the tradition the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition these views do not come from outside and there's nothing that they read into from external thoughts or ideologies or other intellectual traditions in order to reach the conclusions that they do and one of the other reasons that's given as well as to why she wasn't a manifested prophet in the dunya is because of women's biology now a a prophet has to be someone who is out there in the community who is able to be uh, visible who is able to be in discussions with all different people the rich and the poor the powerful and the the oppressed um, who's able to give over a certain message and that that is something that women are not able to do it, to the same capacity because of menstruation, because of childbirth and because of those factors which impact her access to community and the way in which she would interact with people in her community and also because women uh, have a, a type of modesty Uh, which is inherent in women although of course that's totally blown out of the water these days but there is in women a type of modesty and a shyness which prevents women from often going forward and this is what the feminists are on about all the time like you know what are the structural impediments or things that stop a woman from going out there and leading the world because women have something in them which actually naturally stops them from doing that which is not wanting to be out there to the extent that men are and so obviously if the whole social conditions are more geared towards that then that's going to look stronger um, than perhaps it would be for us in our societies today. Okay so let's look at uh, Sayyidina Maryam in the Quran and particularly at uh, her childhood and her mother and then inshallah we'll look at the pregnancy and the birth of Nabi Isa salam. So Surat Maryam, so there's a whole chapter in the Quran which is named after her and it's the 19th chapter in the Quran and it consists of 98 verses. Okay, so this is just a few facts about uh, uh, Sayyidina Marim in the Quran. She's also mentioned 34 times by name in 32 different verses. And she's the only woman to be mentioned by name. And it's not once, it's like 34 times, which is a lot. Okay, so there's a lot of repetition of her name. And uh, she's mentioned 11 times without reference to her son. So just on her own she's mentioned 11 times and then the rest of the time she is mentioned with reference to him by, by the fact that he is Isa ibn Maryam. He's Isa the son of Maryam. So is mentioned with him but he's also mentioned with her. So there's never a time in the Quran when Sayyidina Isa is not mentioned without the name of his mother which of course is very significant because he's not mentioned by the name of his father because he doesn't have a father okay he was born without a father so for people who believe that jesus is the son of god then he's not mentioned like that in the quran the quran is the final revelation and the final truth and this is stated explicitly throughout other women in the quran are mentioned with reference to their husbands Or they're such as the wife of Firaun, so she's mentioned as his wife, or the sister, or the mother, or they're somehow in relation to other people and they're not mentioned by name, only Sayyidina Maryam. So this is Surah Adi Imran, and we'll just go through and explain briefly and, and try, inshallah, to get some. Uh, some deeper and more clear meanings about her story in the Quran and the significance of her and her life inshallah. so in uh, verse 33 then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and this is kind of an introduction leading into the next section which is more about uh, when she herself was conceived In اللَّهَ آدَمَ وَنُوحًا so Allah chose and, and selected again, istafa. So this is a selection um, that Allah chose Sayyidina Adam and Sayyidina Nuh. So these are two, Adam being the first human being, of course, and Sayyidina Nuh and the family of um, ibrahim abraham and the family of imran over all of mankind so the family of imran of course is where sayyid Maryam and sayyidina isa a.s. come from so in these families that adam was chosen to be born without a father or a mother Hawa, his wife or partner was created without a mother because she was created from adam's rib and sayyidina isa is of course created without a father. So this is an indication of how they've been selected for something extremely noble and miraculous. So they are offspring one after the other. So this there's lineages there. Allah is the hearer and the knower. Then we get to the story. So the wife of Imran. So she said Rabbi Inni ma Mafi Botani Muharraran. She said, oh my lord, I have vowed to you what is in my womb. So she's made another, which is like an oath. Um, dedicated, so Muharraran, dedicated to the service of their deen, of their religion, and to the temple. Fatakabbal minni. So accept that from me indeed you are the all-hearing and the all-knowing. Now saidna Maryam's mother her name was Hannah bint faquz and her sister was the wife of Nabi Zakaria. So when Nabi Zakaria and his wife had their child Sayyidina Yahya, then Sayyidina Yahya who was a prophet known as John the Baptist and saidna Maryam were actually cousins. And Sayyidina Hannah she didn't have any child okay and it's said that she saw a bird tending to its young and that made her think and so she made dua and she prayed to Allah to bless her with the child and with offspring and so then she became pregnant and from the joy of that she vowed to dedicate her child to worship and service to the temple and then she says that Allah is the all-hearing and the all-knowing because he heard her dua and he answered it and he knows what is in her womb and whether or not it would be a male or a female. And then when she delivered her she says, فَلَمَّا وضعتها قالت اني وضعتها انت Oh Allah, I've delivered a female and it says Wallahu alamu bima and Allah was well acquainted or well aware of what she had delivered and then she goes on and she says kal'unta. and the male is not like the female so when she says that what she's actually referring to is the fact that in order to be in service to the, the temple and to be in worship then the male and the female are not the same because they were living under the Jewish law which was very very strict and no female was allowed in the temple and so later on we'll see what happens when Maryam grows up a bit and goes into the temple and so she knew so Seidna Hannah. she had made this oath that her child was going to be devoted to the temple but now she's had a girl so what's she going to do that didn't stop her and she decided that even though she'd had a female child she was going to uh, send her to the temple and there she would be given over uh in uh, devotion and worship and she says مريم, and i have named her mariam and i have named her and i have sought your protection for her and her descendants from shaitan the outcast so when we look at that we think well hang on the ayah before that it says that allah has accepted her dua and one would hope out of her joy when she made her uh, oath and dedicated this child to service to the temple that it would have been made a boy because that's how her oath would have been fulfilled so is it that her dua wasn't really heard and that her intention wasn't really accepted. No, that's not the case. But what happened was that Seda Maryam had to be born in order that Seda Isa could be born a miracle without a father. So this manifestation... Of service and worship was not going to be exclusively in the child as her mother had wished for but rather it was going to go into the next generation and beyond and that Maryam herself would give birth to one of the greatest prophets so then it says that Allah accepted her this child with a gracious reception and raised her with a beautiful upbringing and entrusted her to the care of Zakaria who was her uncle so her maternal aunt's husband and uh, he actually went through this process of casting lots because the Jewish rabbis and priests they were very very uh, skeptical about this situation because here was uh, Seda Maryam who had been born and I forgot to mention that her father Nabi Imran uh, had actually died whilst uh, her mother was pregnant with her so she was born an orphan child and here she's born and they knew that her mother had wanted to devote her to the temple but then she's born a girl so they were laughing about that but they also found this a bit threatening because they knew although they were quite corrupt they also knew that things would happen and they needed to control and stop anything that might challenge them so they decided they would draw lots who was going to look after her because she didn't have a father and then Sedna Zakaria then he he won this casting of lots and so he was given the authority to look after her and protect her and so he built a small room for her in the sanctuary in the precincts of the temple and it said that he built an entrance to it which had seven doors so nobody could get through those seven doors to her so she was completely protected and when he did come and see her every day and he came with bread and water and whatever provision she needed That he saw that she was always given this rizq, this provision of fruits which were out of season. So when it was summer she had winter fruits and when it was winter she had summer fruits from other places. And he asked her, oh Maryam where did you get this from? And she said it's from Allah, Allah provides to whom he wills without reckoning. And they knew that this child was an extremely... Uh, special and incredible child and that she needed protection so that's why he uh, looked after her in that way with that also those gates and doors so nobody could um, uh, attack her or do any harm to her and then in between that verse and what we've got here there's a bit of the story of Nabi Zachary and how he prayed to Allah to give him a child because he saw that Mariam had received this fruit and she said that Allah gives without uh, any account or he gives to whoever he will so he so then he started to pray because he hadn't had a child and he wanted one then Mariam is addressed by the angels and they come to her and they say um, yeah Mariam this is our verse from before Wat ala nisa ila so they've come to tell her who she is and what her role is and that she has been chosen and purified. So this is a uh, introduction to her and a way of preparing her for what is going to come. And it said that when they say she's been purified, there's a few different interpretations. Some say, some of the scholars say she's purified from being touched by a male. Others say she was purified from menstruation, but then that's not a, a majority view. And others say that, of course, she was purified from attachment to the dunya, which explains her name Al Batul, because Al Batul, as we saw last week from Sayyidah Fatima as well, means the one who is detached from the dunya and attached to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So, as we said, Ista, Istafaki is being mentioned twice, and that she's being given this uh, selection and this purity not just in the material realm but also in terms of her spiritual rank because she's been chosen above all the women of the world and of course that means in a spiritual sense and so they say yeah Maryam be devoted to your lord so uh, worship your lord and the kunut there actually means to worship a long act of worship so it means to be in uh, in a lengthened periods of prayer and devotion and it's said that Seda Mariam's ankles would swell and that they would swell so much that they would ooze a type of yellow liquid uh, because of her standing for so long in prayer And other stories say that she made such long prostration that her eyes would start to seep, also a type of yellow liquid, because of having her head down for so long. So she was known for her acts of worship, um, but she didn't notice any of these physical uh, uh, effects which were upon her. And then, what's interesting here and now goes back to our introduction about stories in the Quran and what we're meant to get from them, is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala actually um, addresses the Prophet Muhammad wasalam, who's receiving this revelation, and Allah says, "These are accounts from the unseen, which we reveal to you." So, to the Prophet Muhammad wasalam, He says, "You, O Muhammad, were not with them." when they cast their lots as to which of them would take charge of mariam nor were you with them as they quarreled so again it's like okay the prophet our prophet he wasn't there but now here's this incredible story so what is he meant to take from this and what are we meant to take from this and how is this conveyed to us for what purpose in order for us to take guidance from this just as he alayhi took a guidance and took the full meaning of the story as well And then the angel said, O Mary, Allah gives you good news of a word from him. His name is Al-Masih, the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, Isa, Ibn Maryam. He's well esteemed in this world and the next and one of those who have been brought or drawn close. So one of the, the nearest. And this is a description of the child that she was going to bear. So she's being told now that she's going to receive this child and she doesn't really know what all that's about. But what she is told is who he is. And that's really significant because he's given a a name. So his name is al Messiah, the Messiah. His name is Jesus and his name is Jesus, the son of Mary. And there's no man mentioned there. There's no father, there's no paternal figure. And the al Masih means to be purified and anointed. It comes from Mas, which means to wipe. And so it's like he was uh, wiped himself, wiped over with purity. So he was purified, he was anointed, he himself was noble and esteemed. And he himself is one of the greatest. Of our prophets oh, and there were many many uh, thousands of them, and of course he's one of the highest ranking ones. So she's told all that about this child and then she's told about his characteristics and she's told al Mahdi and she's told that he will speak to the people from his crib and in his adulthood and that he will be one of the righteous and it's said in some of the tafsirs that uh, speaking from the crib also means that when she was pregnant with him she would talk to him and so she had this bond with this uh, child that she was pregnant with and if she got busy with other people who'd come to see her whatever was going on in in her life uh, then she could hear him making tasbih from her womb so she could hear him glorifying and praising Allah whilst he was a, a baby in her womb So there's some different meanings there about speaking from the crib. And of course she wanted to know how this is going to happen. So she says, my Lord, how can I have a child when no man has touched me? And also she's making a claim for her innocence here because she doesn't know what is going to happen. And there is a sense of apprehension in her because there's only one way to get pregnant and what, what does this mean that I'm going to be given this child with all these characteristics and this name and who he is and so she's told by the angel that that's what it is so she still doesn't know, Allah creates whatever he wills um, So Allah creates what he wills So if a uh, an, an order or something that is decreed comes to pass then he only says Fa kun, kun he says to it be and it is so this is something which has been manifested it's something which has been executed and it's written and it's going to happen then we go on now to the actual chapter surat Maryam. And here we have a, again a repetition of this part of the story, and then actually the birth and what happens afterwards. So here it says, "Wadkur fil Kitabi Mariam," and mentioned in the scripture Mariam. Uh, so when she withdrew from her people to, uh, uh, it says, "Makan and شرقية, so in an easterly direction. Or some say just in a far direction or in a far location so it's said in the most of the stories that she withdrew from the temple because she used to live in the temple and stay there and worship there and that uh, when she had her menstrual cycle that she would withdraw from the temple and go to another house far away like someone in her family, extended family and so she would stay there for that time and then she would wash and purify herself and go back to the temple so it said that it was at that time when she was in this house that was far and that it was a cold day and that she had gone out to I guess the, the, the bathing area um which was probably separate from the actual living quarters, and she had washed herself before she was due to return to the temple. Now it's interesting that it's mentioned specifically in the tafsir that it was a cold day because and there's also different opinions on this as well, the actual length of her pregnancy, because if she conceived on this cold day, that would have been in winter, and had she had she taken the pregnancy through nine months, then she gave birth in the summer. Okay, which confirms our story about the fresh dates and how she could not have given birth in the winter. So others say that she conceived and gave birth on the same day. And so that is a different perspective. But if she, uh, and most stories, stories say that she did actually go the full nine months. So it was a cold day, which is noted and she had washed herself and got dressed and she was now outside and she felt a presence and she looked up and she saw a very young and handsome man in front of her which was the angel Jibril manifested in a human form and so immediately of course she was frightened and she sought refuge and she said to him Inni audo bir rahmani minka in So I seek refuge in the Most Merciful in Allah from you, and she hopes that he's righteous. So she's saying to him that if you are pious and God-fearing, and please don't hurt me. And then he identified himself, and he said, "Qala innama ana rasulu So he said, "I'm only the messenger of your Lord, an angel." so to give you the gift of a pure son and now she was a bit scared because she she knew that this thing was going to happen to her and she said how can i have a son when no man has touched me again claiming her innocence and her chastity and she says i was never unchaste and he says that this is your lord has said this is easy for me this is easy and we will make him a sign for humanity and a mercy from us it is a matter already decided so when he said that he was made an ayah he's made a sign so that's what an ayah is it's literally a, a, a sign that points towards something so an alama and for the people to show them The power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also a rahmah shows the the softness and the gentleness for those who follow this way and who follow with the guidance, who follow the guidance with understanding, and that that is amaran maqdiya So that is a, a matter that has been decided and executed, and there's no going back on it, and there's no replacing it or changing it. That's just the way it is. So Mariam now conceives this child. And there are some different reports as well as to how that happened. So some of the stories say that this light came from the angel and traversed this short distance between them where they were standing and that it filled her and that that was the conception. Um, Others say that there was, that the angel blew like a, like a, a breath and that this Uh, encompassed her and that was the conception other stories say that the angel uh, because he was in a human form and so he put out his hand and didn't touch her but just wiped closely over her face and uh, over her body so sort of in that from from her top down to her feet that he wiped over her and that that's how she conceived so there's a couple of different uh, narrations there But what happened was she conceived this child and she began to feel different. So the pregnancy was uh, happening and it was very easy for her actually. And it said that she didn't feel pain, she didn't feel tiredness or sickness or anything and that she didn't grow too big. So she was able to, uh, her body changed but she was able to cover that uh, with a cloak. Then at one point she felt the need and was inspired to go to a faraway place. So she went to a date palm grove, which was quite far from where the people went and where nobody ever really uh, went out there very much and she sat under a tree and the pain started and so she used the tree as well to help her deal with the uh, labor pains that she had begun to experience and it says So the labor pains came upon her or began by the trunk of a palm tree and she says Oh I wish I had died before this and that I have been completely forgotten and the way that's explained here is not that it's a complaint but rather she wishes for death out of the fear of the shame that she would experience in front of her people, and of fear of what they would do to her to disgrace her, because she knew the nature of the people that she was with in her society, and they were outwardly adhering to a set of rituals which came from religious practice, but that inside they were not religious people, and they didn't manifest the things that you're meant to as a religious person, they were extremely materialistic, they were harsh, they were merciless, they were cruel to the poor and she had not had a good time with them earlier in her life because they were very scared of her because they knew there was something about her and what she feared was what people would say and that's a universal thing and at that point that's when it really struck her that this baby is being born and what's going to happen and then فناداها من تحتها so he, it says he called her so she was called from the ground Okay, sort of from underneath her and some of the scholars say that it was Nabi Isa himself the newborn baby who spoke to her and then others say it was Jibreel the angel who had come and said to her don't worry don't worry your lord has placed a stream beneath you وَهُزِّي إِلَيْكِ بِجِدْعِ النَّخْلَةِ تُسَاقِتَ عَلَيْكِ رُطَبًا جَنِيًّا and shake the trunk of the palm tree towards you and it will drop ripe dates by you so next to you so she ate and she drank okay and this is really significant because this stream of water just bubbled up in the sand And this is the summertime and so for that just to happen is from the hot, hot sand in the desert in the middle of summer when these ripe fruits, these ripe dates would have dropped upon her is of course a miracle and these mercies strengthened her and showed her that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would support her and her child and that they were protected and in that as well we see her mother's intention when her mother sought refuge in Allah to protect them from shaitan and to protect them from harm so now that was also seen now then she knew that that dua and that that seeking protection was also uh, coming into being so she ate and she drank and then she was told so she was told to do that for kulli washrabi wa so eat and drink and be consoled and this is the wa qari ayna it's that expression like when a baby's born and you say may the child be al like the the coolness of your eyes and so here she's told look at your child and feel that joy of the firstborn child feel that love feel that amazement and connect and bond to your newborn baby Um, and also the the mother of Nabi Musa she was also told that to look at him and may he be and the coolness of her eyes so it's mentioned twice in the Quran uh, with Prophet subhanallah so then it said to her and if you see any human then say i have vowed a fast so here the fasting is not from food but it's abstinence from speech so she's told don't speak to anybody so just say that i vowed a fast rahmani, uh, for the most merciful soulman so I vowed a fast to the most merciful and I will not speak to any human today. So she goes back to her people and she came back to them carrying this baby. And they said, oh Maryam, you have done something terrible. So you can imagine how the word spread like wildfire that here is this pious al-batool this incredible worshipper, this devoted woman who lives in a different realm almost from the rest of them, coming and entering this public place, holding an infant. And it's like, who is this baby? Where did it come from? And most importantly, who is the father? And so now she's addressed by the rabbis and the priests, and they say, oh, sister of Harun, or Aaron as he's known in English, sister of Harun so she wasn't literally his sister because of course uh, Sayyidina Harun was the brother of Nabi Musa and he was about two thousand or more years before what it means is that you are the sister of him in that you resemble him you resemble him in piety and worship so they're they're giving her an honour and they're actually stating her rank that you are the sister of Harun, you are you are a pious and, and devoted woman. Your father was not an evil man and your mother was not a whore, as it says here. Some of these translations aren't the best. But she wasn't a compromised woman in any sense so what on earth has happened to you and now they're also referring to her family and so for asharat Ilehi, so she pointed to the baby and now they're getting really insulted okay because not only has she turned up carrying this child but she's not even daring to speak to them so they're getting very upset and these are people remember who were already threatened by her and didn't like her they didn't like the prophets, they didn't like Nabi Zachariah or his son uh, Nabi Yahya and they had already been killed before this and you can read that in the stories about Herod who was the king of uh, Philistine of Palestine at the time and how these prophets were killed and we know that the Jews killed prophets. So they have all this history there and now they're getting really upset and they say قالوا كيف نكلم من كان في how can we speak to an infant in the crib or not that he's literally in the crib but an infant who is at that stage like just a child who will be wrapped up and swaddled and then the greatest miracle Kala, he said and this is Jesus this is the baby Nabi Isa إني عبد أَتَّنِي الْكِتَابَ وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيًا. he says I am the servant of Allah. I am Abdullah, the servant of Allah. al الْكِتَابَ meaning Allah has given me the book, the scripture which would come forward, come forward after as the gospel, okay and made me a prophet. so here we have a text that actually confirms that he was a prophet. وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُ And he has made me blessed wherever I may be. وَأَوْصَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ مَا دُمْتُ حَيَّةِ And he has enjoined me, this is Allah has enjoined me uh, to prayer and zakah, charity, as long as I live. وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَتِي وَلَمْ يَجَعَلْنِي جَبَّارًا شَقِيًّا and he has made me kind and obedient to my mother no mention of a father now when we talk about bir walidain so having like a, a filial type of obedience or a piety towards one's parents it's always al walidain the two parents, the mother and father but here he specifically mentions wa so obedient bi walidati, to my mother ok, wa lam ja'alni and he did not make me a, a disobedient or a, a, a tyrannical type of rebel or someone who is tyrannical and wretched and he continues alayya wa amutu wa so peace be upon me the day I was born and the day I die and the day I get resurrected alive مريم, that is Jesus, the son of Mary. This is the, okay, there's a couple of meanings here. The truth, meaning the actual truth itself, like this is the real fact about which they dispute, okay. Or is it قول الحق, is it the word of the truth, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so a couple of language interpretations there but this is the truth the subject matter the issue about which they dispute and about which they have doubt so this is those who are now looking at this and interpreting oh this must be the son of God oh this must be God himself manifested in this human being oh uh, this must be uh, somebody that we need to worship but instead what they've overlooked is what he's just said before that I am the servant of Allah inni abdullah and that is the fact, that is the haq, that is the truth that Sayyidina Isa salam is the son of Mary and that he was born through this conception without a father just as Sayyidina Adam was born without any parents Say, Sayyidina Hawa was made from the rib of Adam And Jesus was born without a father. And as Allah said, this is easy for him. Why? This is a miracle. And what is a miracle? It's the temporary suspension of customary action. So we have a customary way that this world works, the way that Allah has created it and if Allah wants to stop that for a moment or for a long time or in any way he wants to and make something else happen then that's his prerogative subhanahu wa ta'ala and completely within his power and knowledge and will to do so and that happens whenever he is and that's what it means that this is an order, a, a command, an action that has been fulfilled that this has been written to be like that. And that's what we also need to understand that Allah is Qadir ala kulli shay, that He has all power and ability over everything, and that He does what He wills. And if He wants something to be, He just says, Kun fayakun. So that's the next ayah. That is Jesus, the Son of Mary, or the same ayah, the word of truth about which they have doubt then it says it is not for Allah to have a child glory be to him so it's not for Allah to take a child glory be to Allah again here we go to, in order for something to be done or should something be done and ordered so he says be and it is and it just becomes that. Then and this is the point that we finish this on inna Allah Rabbi Wa Rabbukum Allah indeed Allah is my Lord and your Lord. So worship him. Hada siratum mustaqim. That is the straight path or a straight path. That is the way. So Allah is our Lord and your Lord and we worship Him and we don't ascribe partners to Him, we don't ascribe a child to Him, we don't ascribe in any way that there should be other than Allah who is the uh, Lord that we worship. And of course we probably all read that at least once a day or more when we read uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas uh, in the Quran "Lam yalid walam Yulad. Allah is not, uh, he, he does not father anyone nor is he himself fathered so he does not beget nor is he begotten which is usually how it's translated but he's not the he's not involved in this uh, physical uh, uh, this physical reproduction in the sense that human beings are and Surat Maryam begins with the story of Sayyidina Zakaria who is asking and pleading for Allah to give him a child and he says even though I'm older my hair has gone grey and my wife is barren please give us the, the rizq of a child and so there's a child there that comes in the story then there's a child who's born here and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have a child Allah is the creator of these children he's the creator of the process of reproduction but he himself does not father nor is he fathered okay so that's uh, basically all the eyes about uh, Sayyidah Maryam in the Quran and we look at the beginning, Surah Taharim where she's mentioned there with uh, Sayyidah Asiya, and also the wives of Sayyidah Lut and Nuh So that's kind of the story there. And when we look at this story, there are obviously particular lessons and particular aspects of it that uh, we are able to extrapolate and help us inshallah in our own situation and in our own context. So what should we be looking for that will help us in our own striving to be women on the straight path? I've just put a couple of things here and of course there are more and no doubt you'll think of things as they pertain to you and your own personal situation and your community and what's going on in your part of the world. But these are ones that just stood out uh, immediately and that the strength of Seder Mariam really was in her detachment from worldly life. So her inner strength and the strength of her faith was not in any way dependent on what she herself personally sought but rather she was given. Allah gave her rizq. Allah gave her those fruits out of season. Allah looked after her and her uh, strength wasn't that because she herself sought the material but rather she sought her Lord, she sought Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then Allah gave her the physical strength and the risk and the ability uh, to fulfill her real purpose which was to worship and i think that's important because we often think like what can we get for ourselves to make our situation better and this is part of our consumer and materialistic mentality oh i need this and that will help me oh i need that and oftentimes we really don't need those things but what we do need is more of our spiritual and heart connection to Allah and our detachment from the dunya and our attachment to Him. And that is Al-Batul, that is her description. The one who's detached uh, and not not in any way seeking from this dunya, and that's zuhud. okay, which is uh, asceticism. But not asceticism in the sense that it takes you into an extreme lifestyle, but rather Uh, An asceticism or a detachment from the world. So you're in the world, you deal with the world, you live with it, you eat, you drink, things come in in your hand, you give things away, whatever happens. So you pass through this world as a uh, material creature, as a part of it, but that you're not not attached to it. Um, Secondly, also her submission to the will of Allah. So she never once complained, and she certainly had fear as we saw and that this is a very human emotion of course but she didn't complain about becoming miraculously pregnant nor did she complain about the bearing of a child but she was fearful about the potential harsh reaction of her people and this is the case we're always worried about what people will think and she shows us that okay that's true and this is in the Quran this her fear of what people will think is there right until the end of time for us to read about and look at so that's real but the point is what did she do with that fear and did she act on that fear in a negative way or did she turn away from that fear in her much more noble and honorable and lofty attachment to Allah knowing that he would not forsake her or that he would not let her Uh, fall into the very thing that she feared so she shows us that although we have our conditions and our states and things that go on around us but we don't have to be a servant to those but rather we're a servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that will enable us to be lifted out of those situations inshallah and so uh, also with regards to that her I mean because she felt this human emotion but it was her faith that kept her on the right track so that's kind of what we're trying to say and that at the very moment where she could have really undermined that when she came back to her people and they asked her what's going on and she pointed to the child but because of this uh, this act of fasting or abstaining from speech then she didn't undermine herself through a nervous or fearful type of speech or action So anybody else who would have been absolutely petrified to have been in her shoes at the time might have said or done something to uh, weaken themselves in the eyes of others. But her silence was her strength and that enabled her to not fall into any situation that would compromise her or the strength of her faith and certainty. She fulfilled her duty as a mother completely and as a worshipper of Allah. And her motherhood, of course, was without her uh, husband or a a father figure as a partner. So in a sense, I guess we would call her a single mother, but she wasn't really because she always had her faith and her connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even though physically she didn't have anyone by her side, she didn't need to have anyone by her side to raise this child. And she actually went to Egypt when sort of very soon after that when she brought him to the community there in order to protect him because she knew that her people were people who would kill her and her child just as they had killed uh, her uncle Nabi Zakaria and her cousin uh, Nabi Yahya so she left and she protected him for 12 years in Egypt and then when um, Herod who was the king when he died and it was safe for them to return then they returned back to Philistine to Palestine and it was then that his miracles of healing and bringing people from the dead and those things uh, began to happen so she uh, protected her child she raised him uh, in the best way and then finally she was content with Allah's decree, so she was content with the life that Allah had made her for and chosen for her and she was content with the very uh, little uh, provision that she had, so she never complained and she was just and she was fair, she was kind, she's known to give everything to the poor and she often went without things herself because she knew she wasn't for this dunya, she wasn't greedy for this dunya and what was in it but rather she was seeking what was with Allah subhanahu wa taala, and she was born for that and she lived that completely and of course there are different accounts of where she passed away and where she lived and after Nabi Isa had uh, been raised up not killed or not crucified but after he had gone then where did she live and what did she do so there's different stories about that but we won't go into that now. So inshallah, I hope that that is a little bit of a potted version of the life of the great Sayyidah Maryam, the mother of Prophet Isa alayhi salam, wa alayhi salam. and inshallah we ask Allah to give us a portion of her state, we ask Allah to give us a deep understanding of her and who she was, and of her role and her rank, and to give us a clear guidance as to how we should approach her story, and that he gives us Something of what she had in order to benefit us in our own states and with the people around us in the best of ways, insha'Allah.